Scripture reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 20, verse 17 to the end of the chapter. If you could open your Bibles as I read it. Acts chapter 20. Verse 17 to the end of the chapter. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourself know that I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with fears and with tears and with trials, and that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, and not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me every city, in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. Verse 24. But I do not account my life as any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from whom your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. 31. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much 
weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that, he would not see his that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. May God add his blessings to his word. Thank you, Brother Jimmy, for reading God's word to us. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, we have come with clutter, our hearts full of anxiety, our minds full of distraction. So we invite you just now to bring order to our thoughts, to quiet our hearts, to help us to hear from you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're visiting with us, Thank you. Uh, by the way, I hope you will meet uh, my friend, well, Sherry's friend too, from our hometown in Malacca. Um, where are you, Mariel? Just w wave your hand. Don't be shy. I, I don't usually do this. Oh, there you are. Stand up and tell us something about... Uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, Mariel's family uh, is very precious to us, and she is here uh, on a short-term ministry assignment, and we're so grateful to be able to see her and share space with her. And if you're visiting with us, we're so grateful you've come. Uh, in case you're wondering what we're doing, we've been going through a year-long study of the book of Acts. Uh, we've called it Not Ashamed, specifically Not Ashamed of the Gospel. Uh, we're still on the Scripture reading, and that's okay. Keep your fingers in Acts chapter 20. Uh, this morning, we're looking specifically at that chapter, not all of it, but um, 17 through 38. We're specifically looking at uh, passing the baton. Now, I, I practiced a long time saying this because in Canada, we would say passing the baton. But apparently, you follow the English here. Is it baton? We would say pass the bacon. So it's a huge distraction to me. So if I make a mistake and say baton, that means I just don't want to say bacon by accident. It's a critical issue. We, we say we want to be a disciple-making church, right? So, so it matters how we pass on what has come to us in the faith. And, and if I could, let me just give us a, a little bit of background. And, and we need to go back further to Acts chapter 19 to get some background. You, you may recall... Two weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 19, and something extraordinary happened when uh, seven magicians, who were also sons of a Pharisee, they saw all the mighty work that God was doing through the ministry of Paul, and they wanted that stuff too, so, so they claimed his name. They, they added on a new incantation to what they were doing in the name of the one Paul preaches, and then they got beat up by the spirits who didn't recognize them. And it created such a stir in the city, everyone was suddenly deeply disturbed by the fact that their lives were ruled by superstition and magic. And it even created revival in the new church. Because remember that startling verse which said, and the new believers also brought their books of magic and they burned them together in the city. And that began to be dangerous. Why? Because you can have your different teachings, but when your teaching begins to impact the economy, then you're at risk. And this is what was beginning 
to happen in Ephesus. And so beginning in verse 23 of chapter 19, we see that there arose no little disturbance about the way. It wasn't called the Christians. There were no Baptists or Methodists or, or even Catholics there. They were just called the way. There became no little disturbance about the way because I just saw Sonny up there. Here, here she is, Artemis. Ephesus was the city of Artemis, or in, in Rome, she was called Diana. Ephesus had a patron saint. Her name was Artemis. She was the goddess of the hunters and the farmers. In other words, she was goddess provider. She was important in the economy of Ephesus because there were men, one of whom was named Demetrius, who made a very good living out of creating images of Artemis. She was the kind of God that disappeared every once in a while. Oh, she's back. Um, she, she wasn't just goddess provider, though. She was also goddess protector. She was like the Greek version of the goddess of mercy. She was goddess protector because she was the goddess protector of girls. In an age in which women, of course, couldn't vote, they weren't considered to even have souls. They were possessions of their father first, their brothers second. They were passed on as barter. Diana, or Artemis, was the goddess protector of girls. And so she was an important person deity in the life of Ephesus. And there arose this great debate that turned into a riot when Demetrius stood up, you know, decided that he would be the union boss of all silversmiths and said this, there is a danger. People respond when there's danger. There is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may de be disposed from magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worships. It became dangerous because she brought big business to many craftsmen in Asia. And so... In Acts chapter 19, there's a riot in the city. And Paul and his missionary companions are drugged before them and they're, they're throwing dust in the air and shouting and screaming and only went home after this one man stood up and said, listen, take them to court before you all get taken to court and get charged with a real crime, which is rioting. That's all background. At this point, the Apostle Paul knew his time was short in Ephesus. That's why discipleship matters. How many of you know that your time is short in Singapore? You see, when we commit to discipleship, that recognizes we're watching the time. We know that we're not going to be here forever. And, and I'll be honest with you, if as a parent I knew that at the age of 13 or 14, my boys would be learning more from their teachers and their friends than from their father, I would have been paying more attention when they were younger. How many of you know our time is short? 
The Apostle Paul knew. So this entire message, he exposes the, the elders in Ephesus and all of us to his discipleship model and why discipleship matters. In verse 17, he summons the elders in Ephesus. Remember, he's in Miletus. He summons the elders, come and join me in Ephesus. That, or in Miletus, that was a 100-kilometer journey. And so when they gather to him, his exhortation to us and to those elders is basically discipleship matters. Not just any discipleship. That, that's why we call this passing the baton. Because if you've ever watched the Olympics, the race is won and lost in that exchange. And, and even right now, the race to glory is being won and lost in the exchange, the exchange between my generation and the next generation, this father and his children, the, the race of faith is won and lost when that baton, baton, is dropped. This is why discipleship matters. So there's just two points. Okay, I'm more than a nine or ten point guy. So there's two points with points immersed, hidden, kind of like Canadian taxes. The, the first point is we will consistently reproduce who we are. Now, now, the good news about that is we will consistently reproduce who we are. The bad news about that is we will consistently reproduce who we are. Uh, I, I confess that when I was a, a young boy, uh, I... Uh, had friendships that were very transactional. So I had a very close friend named Brucey e. Gibson because his family had a swimming pool. <laughs> and so he was a very attractive friend to me, especially in the summertime. And, and I would go over and we would swim together. And his father, Mr. Gibson, in those days you didn't know any father's first name. It was only Mr. Gibson. He was a chain smoker. And, and every time we'd come over, he'd have a cigarette in his mouth, and he would talk with his cigarette in his mouth. He, I never saw him without a cigarette, inside the house, outside the house, in the swimming pool. And he would always say, with his cigarette in his mouth, boys, actually he would say, lads, don't be smokers. <laughs> just, just don't even pick up the, this cancer stick. Don't be smokers. I heard it every single time I went over there. About seven years ago, Brucey e. Gibson died of lung cancer. Because it didn't matter how much his father said, Brucey, e., don't be a smoker. Brucey e. became his father. We will reproduce who we are. That's why I say shepherds most naturally reproduce shepherds. It's just biology, right? Sheep reproduce sheep. Why do we keep hiring shepherds hoping they will reproduce more sheep? We've got a bent and broken discipleship model. And I want us to see as the Apostle Paul exposes the elders to his simple discipleship model. He didn't give them a discipleship textbook. It wasn't about Christian education. He stayed with them for two years. And said this, reproduce this. 
This was his discipleship model. It was simple. It was basic. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you what? Of all the Torah, of all the Bible verses? No, to remind you of my ways. You see, Singapore can't afford spiritual midgets who say, don't look at me, I'm just like a man. We need to stand up tall in the faith and say to this next generation, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Imitate me, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to what? My ways. And so in verses 17, sorry, in, in verses 19 through 28, he says, Look at, um, look at me. They arrive, he said to them, you've seen how I lived. From the very time I set foot in Asia, that's, that's all you need to become a disciple, just open your eyes and observe. W watch how somebody lives. Listen to their speech. That's why he brought them there, to remind them of everything they had seen and heard in the past year, two years that he was there with them in Ephesus. And now, uh, here they are, these points. They're coming quickly. Verse 19, in difficulty, you saw my humility and my tears. It, it doesn't take a real sharp person to know how to function when things are good, right? We know how to do that. But, but how does a disciple of Christ function in difficulty? You saw it, he said. You saw my humility and my tears. That means I served as a humble man, knowing that all the stuff I had that made me somebody in society, all of that I considered rubbish. You saw a humble man and a passionate man who's not afraid to weep. This, this is why I'm troubled by 1 Samuel chapter 30 when, when David and his men all came home and his village had been raided. This was a great military leader, but his response was not to sit down and say, hey guys, let's develop a strategy of counterattack. He, he, he sat down with his men and wept. And I've got to ask myself, do none of us know anyone who, if they died today, would be without hope and without a Savior? Why doesn't that difficulty make us weep? Do, do, do we not see thousands, millions of people every week who are oblivious to the darkness in which they live? The Apostle Paul modeled a brokenness over lostness. He grieved over the Jews. He grieved over non-believers. And those who were with him saw that grief. They saw his tears. 
Then secondly, in verse 20, teach the Word. Nobody is transformed by my opinions. I have lots of ideas. You, you might have heard that I'm big on recycling. But, but God did not say, Ian, go to Singapore and teach them about recycling. Teach them to green the earth. Teach the Word. My passions, my convictions, my opinions are not life-transforming. His Word is. For two years, the Apostle Paul said, you saw this in my life. Teach the Word. Third, uh, share the Gospel. Uh, okay, I want to be sensitive. But I'm getting a lot of emails now on, uh, we would like your church to speak to this particular social issue. We are gathering to address, which is uh, Christianese for criticize the behaviors and lifestyle choices of people in Singapore. Can we count on your church to march in this campaign with us? And I say, you can't count on me. Because God has called me to preach good news. Not to remind the world that you are sinners. If God is active in His Spirit in the world, is that not His job? We are called to teach His Word and to preach good news. Share the gospel to all who would hear. Share the gospel. Verses 22 and 23. Demonstrate obedient trust. Did you hear that as Jimmy read? The, the Holy Spirit is leading me to where? I don't know. I'm not sure what's waiting for me there, but I know the answer he's waiting for from me is yes. Now, maybe you've got a situation in your life and, you, and you're like, I surely need to plan something now. I, I, I need to be in control of this right now. But here's what the Apostle Paul modeled, an obedient, faithful disciple just demonstrates trust. Not in your own skill sets. Not in your ability to manage crises, but in the one who holds your present and your future. Next, uh, live with gospel priority. This is fifth in verse 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. I need to bring this up again because I'm wearing vertical stripes. If you were here two weeks ago, you, you heard about the weight I gained and the concern a, a certain woman in my life had about that. And, and I noticed how to mitigate that concern and my anxiety about being lonely by wearing vertical stripes. I look good in vertical stripes. She told me all the time, you look good in vertical stripes. And remember what I said, um, bringing Jesus into your life, putting him on, is not like putting on vertical stripes. Why? Because vertical stripes make me look good. And a lot of people think, you know, Christianity, that, you know, that would be good for me. No, it won't. It should be good for God's glory, not for yours. And, and this is what the apostle did. 
This is how he lived with gospel priority. Jesus, number one, everything else rubbish. And by the way, um, I, I will just expose myself in this. This is how I know how I'm doing. Uh, when you offend me, uh, I know I'm not doing that well. Because sometimes, uh, I'll be honest, I, I complain to God about some of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. And, and deep in my heart, uh, I hear this whisper, you're, you're complaining ab about your re reputation? Is Ian not dead? You've been through the discipleship. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Are you still getting your feelings hurt? Are you not dead yet? Is Christ not rising strong and glorious in you yet? Let that old man die. Stop drinking the bitter wine that refreshes your old flesh. Stop asking for more bread to be raised up to the cross. Let that crucified man die. Let the living, powerful, glorious Christ rise up in you. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. All, all of that stuff, my reputation, my status as a Pharisee in Jewish society, my status as a Roman citizen, all of that I put on the burning, smoldering, trash heap of my life so that Jesus might be great in me. And then 25. Oh, how this breaks my heart. How many pastors start strong and finish poor? You know the Apostle Paul? He was a pioneer of the faith. But he never said, I used to work hard, but now retirement what? Slow down. Uh, let somebody else do it. I worked so hard before. Now I'm getting closer to the grave. Relax first. He finished well. He finished strong. Those are the six characteristics as those elders gathered around him. He said, you want to reproduce something? Remember me, imitate me, reproduce the Christ who's been reproduced in my life. And, and then he says something fascinating in verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to the care for the church of God which he obtained by his own blood. This, this is a time, the last time, he's not going to see them ever again. And, and he needs to give them everything they need to shepherd the flock, God's flock in Ephesus. And he starts with what? Pay attention to the church? No. Pay attention to yourself. Why? Because, again, you're going to reproduce who you are. You're not going to reproduce who you know or what you know. You're going to reproduce who you are. That's why it's so important to be crucified. If, if at the end of my days in Singapore, 
I leave a bunch of people who act a whole lot like Ian, that would be tragic. Unless Christ is obvious in Ian and everything else is rubbish. This is why discipleship is so important. Because the church at Ephesus and the church in Singapore will constantly face three issues. The first issue is false believers. Here's what he says. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now we have in our English language an, uh, an idiom that's come out of the scripture. We call it wolves in sheep's clothing. And the reason why wolves in sheep's clothing are so dangerous is because they look like sheep. Right, that's obvious. Only, they're much more awesome than sheep. You, you understand that, right? This wolf looks like sheep, but is stronger than sheep. This, this wolf is faster and quicker than sheep. This wolf is more intelligent than sheep. This wolf quickly becomes a leader of the sheep. This wolf has teeth that eat sheep. You, you, you see, wolves in sheep's clothing often rise to the top. It, it's fascinating to me that this passage of Scripture is almost perfectly reproduced in Jesus' own warning to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, it says this, the angel of the church of Ephesus write this, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. And here's the first thing the angel says, I know your works and you cannot bear those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. The obligation of every care group, the obligation of every believer is test the teaching of everyone who shepherds. This pastor, test the teaching Test the heart because I have teeth. I can run too. This was a real danger in the church of Ephesus. It's a real danger to this church, to every church in Singapore. False teachers come in. They're like super sheep. They don't desire to be pastors, they desire to be apostles. Who would touch an apostle? Guard yourself, the apostle Paul said, of this danger. But secondly, 
there is false beliefs. You know, sometimes we call this heresy from your own selves. You see, the first one was from outside. These wolves wrapped themselves in this glorious sheep clothing will come in, but from your own selves will come men with twisted teaching and will draw the disciples away after them. This is a greater danger in Baptist churches than any other church I know of. Why? Because in Baptist churches, we're constantly asking your opinion. I'm just saying. We, we have a church governance based not on God's Word, but on American democracy. And every once in a while, American democracy elects somebody you may not love. We vote, which is why it's very important for every single believer, every single covenant member of GBC. It's our hope for you that you find yourself a community, a small group, a care group that will hold you accountable to the teaching of God's Word. Because every once in a while, I have a great idea until Sherry tells me that's the craziest thing I ever heard. God knew I can't be trusted on my own. Because when I eat laksa before I go to bed in the morning, I have some crazy ideas. Spicy? I don't know what. I've had dreams. I'm ready to go on some idea. We need the accountability of a group. That's why He didn't birth us to be orphans. He calls us to be community because if we don't, we will all be wandering astray with the power and authority of our own ideas. Here's how it's put in Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is the Lord speaking. Now, just to be honest with you, there is very little we know historically about any group called the Nicolaitans. So it likely is a metaphor that is used in reference to a certain kind of person. Nico means to conquer or consume. Lay means people. The Nicolaitans were people who would go around in the church developing or developing this collaboration of like-minded people, people who viewed the Scriptures the way they did, and therefore created what which is heresy in the church, and that's division. The church is always in danger of being divided by the heresy of division. A disunified church can never represent a triune God. That's why division is such heresy. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul grieved over the church at Corinth and said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment, for it is reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. So in a few weeks, we're going to have an AGM. 
we will either expose unity or not. And, and please hear this. Jesus doesn't hate Nicolaitans. He hates the work of the Nicolaitans. Those who divide in order to conquer, in order to win over groups to their view, they are called Nicolaitans. Their work is a constant danger to the bride of Christ. And then finally, false... Sorry, I'm forgetting to move the slides. It's not them, it's me. False affection. Verse 35. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because, remember Brucey Gibson, all of us make a friend in Jesus for transactional reasons. This is important for us. Do you have a friend in Jesus? Why? Ask yourself that. What do you hope to gain from your friendship with Jesus? Is it a better job? Is it a higher salary? Is it good health? Is it someone who will love you? Is it more money in your CPF? Or is he enough? Here's how Revelation charges the church at Ephesus. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Here's what the new believers in Ephesus discovered. They discovered a love they had never known before. It was not eros. It was not a fraternal love. It was agape, a self-sacrificing love, a love that puts others first, a love to see, that seeks to honor others before yourself, a constant giving away. How is it then today that we see somebody who's less better off than we are and we suddenly come to judgment. Oh, they didn't really want to work. They want to work. There's lots of work out there. How is it when somebody clearly disadvantaged comes to us and looks for help and we wonder, are they trying to cheat us? How is it we have wandered from our first love. From self-sacrifice, somehow we have become self-serving. Rather than arguing how much do we need to give of God's money, we're arguing how much of my money do I need to keep? Rather than looking at the nations and being broken, we're nervous that someone might come and make eye contact with us when we're walking to the stalls across the padang. Am, am I just talking about myself? Because these are words that pierced my heart in my office. These were words not, not spoken to the saints at Ephesus, but spoken to this man 
This man daily needs to repent from a self-serving love. This man daily needs to turn afresh to Him. Give himself away again. I wonder if I'm the only one. Here is what we need to remember. And I'm going to close with this. This is nobody I know. Just a Google image. <laughs> Mark Batterson is the teaching pastor of the National Community Church in Washington, D.C. In, in 2014, the National Community Church was called the most influential church in America because so many senators and so many congressmen attend this church. And in front of all those government officials, congressmen and senators, Mark Batterson made this comment. I'm not convinced that your date of death is really the date carved on your tombstone. Because most people die long before that. We start dying when we have nothing worth living for. And we don't really start living until we find something worth dying for. Ironically, discovering something worth dying for is what makes life living. Your job is important. Is it worth dying for? Your personal self-image is important. Is it worth dying for? Is there anything in our life that is worth dying for? Then find it and live for that. For the Apostle Paul, it was the gospel. Powerful, transformational, Resurrection from the dead power. That was worth living. It was worth dying for. I wonder if this um, farmer was thinking of this some 71 years ago when he came in from the field covered in sweat and torment. I heard for weeks he was struggling with the Lord, struggling with a call, struggling with whether or not he should even follow. He'd come back from the war where he had drifted in his faith. He struggled with what he had seen, what he'd experienced. He wondered, is there a real God? And yet as he worked to support his wife and him, he, he struggled with the torment of a God who pursued him. And one afternoon he walked into the kitchen where he saw his young wife and he said to her, Verda, I am not going to be a halfway man. That farmer was Dr. B. Um, this was the farmer who became a disciple maker, who, who left that farm and for 64 years, Ernie Polson served with humility and passion. For 64 years, he taught the Word of God and shared the gospel. For 64 years, even in difficulty, he demonstrated obedient trust. He loved the Lord with all his heart and soul and might. What does anybody have after that? 
Do you have anything left over after you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might? Why do you have so much left over? He had nothing. And so, you finished well. He could say with the Apostle Paul, I am innocent of the blood of everyone. For he did not shrink back from declaring to us the whole counsel of God. We reproduce who we are. Who will we be? Who will we reproduce? Will we be able to say with this brother, will we be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Will you bow with me? As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Maybe you have been uh, pierced by this message today. If so, please forgive me. I wasn't aiming for you. I was aiming for my own heart. Maybe you're here today and you, you realize, well, I, I am nursing hurt feelings. I am full of anxiety. And maybe deep within your heart, you heard this piercing whisper, are you not dead yet? As we prepare to celebrate this Lord's Supper, we invite everyone who considers himself an authentic follower of Christ, that does not mean you're perfect. But in this moment, as you examine your heart and life, as you do this transaction with the Almighty King of Glory, if you would say to Him, Lord, everything you share with me, my response will be yes. That is authentic. We would invite you to come to this table. To remember that we come here not because of our own ability, not because of our righteousness, not because of our great service, not even because we're faithful in our attendance and in our giving. We come here because Christ has paid the entrance fee for every one of you whether you consider yourself a faithful follower of Jesus, if you're just a seeker, if you're free-thinking, agnostic, Christ has paid your entrance fee. But if you're here today and God's Spirit has drawn near, drawn near to you and you realize that there is some stuff I need to take care of, my prayer is He would equip you with godly intention 
And you wouldn't wait until you leave this place. But at the final amen, find out that person that you need to love better. That you need to ask forgiveness for. That costs you nothing. It is forgiveness that is costly. Father God, I thank you that you create these brief moments in a busy week for us to spend time with you and to turn our attention toward you and your word. Father, we have confidence to enter the holiest place by the blood of Jesus because he opened a new and living way for us through the curtain of his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of the Lord, let us now draw near with true hearts, full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can do this because of Christ's sacrifice. Father, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without shaking or wavering, without turning to the right or to the left, not because we are faithful, but because He who promised, He is faithful. Father God, I pray that You would respond to those who right now have hearts crying out to You. I pray that You would show Yourself to be provider, that you would show yourself to be comfort. That you would show yourself to be sufficient in even the most difficult crises. Show yourself to be glorious, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, I'm going to invite Pastor Eugene to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread.